We're going to continue in Matthew 9 and 10 uh, this morning, and just in the spirit of full disclosure, uh, yes, I did bite off more than I could chew, and so we're going to move fast, so I promise I will do uh, equal uh, injustice, disjustice, whatever the right word is, to all of the text, but there's so much in uh, Matthew 9 and Matthew 10, and so much of where we've been already has been the heart of a follower of Christ, the DNA, the motivations, the desires of a follower of Christ. What are those? We've defined those over and over and over, and then we come to Jesus, who reminds us who he is, why he's here, what he's doing. The last couple of weeks, we've jumped from Genesis to Revelation in seeing the redemptive work of God from beginning to end, beginning of the story to the end of the story, and how it's unfolding, chapter chapter after chapter after chapter. Uh, And for some of you, you love all of that scripture. For some of you, you love focusing on the heart of things. This is kind of a different morning. It's really a call to action. For those of you that are uh, a little bit less talk, uh, more action, this, I think, is your chapter. What does a follower of Christ do? What are some of the core essential things that we concern ourselves with if we're following Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to just jump right into Matthew 9. We'll start in verse 35. Uh, We've got like 10 times the number of slides than I think I've ever done. Uh, The first point is be mindful, and we're going to see Jesus' mindfulness as he goes out preaching, teaching, and healing, kind of his three-pronged ministry. As he's out preaching, teaching, and healing, Jesus is going to look out at his audience. Some are going to respond to him. Some are going to be changed. Some are curious, and they're just coming, and they're just watching, listening to him talk, watching miracles. They're there for the show. They don't have TVs. It's not their fault. There's not much else going on. They're there for the show, and then they go away when he calls them to action, and some are outright hostile. And so when we encounter those things, we tend to be fed up. We get frustrated. Jesus is going to be moved to compassion. Um, those of us, as we're sent out by him, we're mindful of spiritual blindness and we want to be moved to compassion. Let's see from Matthew 9, starting in verse 35. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And then he lists uh, the 12 apostles who are going to go out. And then I'll finish uh, this first section with verses 5 and 6. He sent the 12, Jesus sent them out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles, enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Uh, Three quick things uh, from this first section where we think about what Christian mindfulness looks like as we are sent out. And the first thing is um, Jesus sees these people, some who are responsive, some who are not, And rather than getting fed up, he compares them to sheep and he has compassion on them. Some of you have had sheep. About this time a year ago, we had three uh, bummer lambs and they lived in our house. Um, And then they lived in the barn. 
Uh, and then when we were really cruel, they, we moved them outside. Um, but they went on errands with us when they were small, uh, wrapped up in a blanket to stores. Um, when the snowstorm came, we melted snow and made water so that we could do their little bottles. Um, we took good care. We thought we took good care of these sweet little helpless, defenseless sheep. And how did they repay us? The moment they could, they bolted and spent all day trying to get out and trying to get underneath the fence. And so what did we do as loving shepherds who care so deeply for these precious sheep that we've given life to, we got fed up and we sold them to a sheep farmer. And (laughs) someone is enjoying uh, lamb chop or whatever. We don't eat sheep. Um, So, But Jesus goes out and Jesus... Jesus is with these people. Jesus has everything in mind that he's about to do for them, sees their hostility, sees their rejection of him, sees his kindness towards them, their hostility towards him, and he's moved with compassion. Jesus doesn't get fed up and sell them to sheep farmers. He sends out those closest to him to rescue those furthest from him. And so we see one of the aspects of Christian mindfulness is mindfulness of spiritual blindness and rather than being like an internet blogger who hates and criticizes everything, we're moved with compassion. We're moved with compassion. Who did Jesus send? Uh, Some of us, as we think about the idea of being sent by Jesus into the harvest, are like, no way, that could never be me. And and so he does list the names of the 12 disciples and... um, for sake of time, three comments. Uh, you have Peter and some of the others who were fishermen. And so what do we know about them? We know a fair amount, but at, at a baseline, no uh, substantial wealth, uh, influence, education, or means. Uh, Jesus didn't go downtown to some sort of business owner's convention and grab the best and the brightest who had the most influence. Uh, he picked the fishermen. No means, uh, no wealth, no considerable influence or education. Uh, some of you know Matthew, a tax collector. Uh, tax collectors were hated. He might as well have been a drug dealer selling drugs outside of the middle school in town. Sleazy dude. And Jesus takes Matthew, sends Matthew. Uh, how about Simon, uh, the zealot? Uh, the only comparison I could come up with for zealot was the Rose City Antifa in Portland who, who are violent with their protests, who are disruptive with their protests. That's what Simon was. He, was. he was disruptive and even violent with his protests. Not the ideal temperament for a missionary, right? Not the ideal temperament for a missionary. Those, who, those are who Jesus sends. And so one of the things that we've got to see whenever the disciples are mentioned is that we can't let um, what we think we can't do keep us from doing what God has called us to do. We can't let what we think we can't be keep us from being who Jesus has called us to be. These are the people that Jesus sends to the harvest. If you have a pulse, if you're a follower of Christ, you are called into the harvest. And then last, um, we, we are reluctant to be sent because uh, we don't think we can, uh, which ultimately is more distrusting God uh, than ourselves. Uh, but we also tend to check out from being sent, believing that he's called us to do a lot more than what he actually has called us to do. In this text, Jesus says, go out to the harvest, the fruit is ripe. So what Jesus is not calling them to do is to come up with the best answers that they can 
because he knows their answers will save people. Their answers won't save people. Jesus saves people. Jesus is not calling them out and saying, if you can just present the gospel this way, everyone will hear it and, and will follow. Their answers, their winsome arguments are useful, but they don't save. Jesus saves. And so he likens the harvest to this field. He says, go out. The fruit is ripe, which means the seed has already been planted. The cultivate, the soil has all has already been cultivated. The plants have already been pruned. Just the right amount of light and water has already been uh, provided, and the fruit is ready to fall off. Their job is to take buckets, go under, stand under the fruit wherever Jesus points them to, and let the fruit drop into the bucket. And so, so many of us take on this enormous weight and responsibility that if we don't have just the right answer to just the right question, we're going to mess up God's plan. Now, it's useful to study. It's useful to put together thoughtful arguments. It's useful to do all of those things. But ultimately, Jesus is sending them out into the harvest, and Jesus has done the work. Part of Christian mindfulness is understanding that we're sent out, but Jesus has already done the work. Our second point this morning is uh, be mindful. Second is be missional. As we transition, I just want to ask you, do you know where you've been sent? Uh, Before we get to missional, do you know where you have been sent? Because Jesus has a plan. If you notice at the end of that text, he said, don't go to the Samaritan cities, don't go to the Gentile cities, just to the Jews. That will change shortly, but it hasn't changed yet, meaning Jesus has a specific target audience for these fellows. Do you know where you have been sent? Do you know who his target audience is for you? Do you know who he's called you to speak to? Uh, Number two, be missional. Uh, Let's read verses 7 and 8 from chapter 10. This is the message Jesus gives them. These are the tools Jesus gives them as they are to go out. Verse 7 says, And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying. Give without pay. Notice what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not saying share the gospel, live the gospel always, and use words if necessary. Jesus is saying go out, open your mouth, speak up, proclaim the kingdom of God is near. Now, they're not calling people into a religious system. They're calling people into a relationship with Jesus. They're not calling these people to just keep trying or to try harder or to do more. They're calling these people to repent and to follow Jesus. One of the things that makes our Guatemala trip in February so neat is it has that balance of gospel proclamation and gospel demonstration. Gospel demonstration because we will be building water filtration devices that will be miracles for people who have been sick all their life because of contaminated water. Gospel demonstration. Also gospel proclamation because we'll be partnering with indigenous pastors, indigenous Christians, indigenous missionaries who will go with us, who will instruct the families who receive these systems on how to use them. They'll follow up with these families and all the while they will be preaching Jesus. It's one of the reasons it makes that trip so special. Gospel proclamation and gospel demonstration side by side as Jesus intended. Ian and I were having a conversation this week about his uh, basketball team and we were praying for some of the families and he asked me, uh, 
do some of those families not know Jesus? And I said, well, yeah. Um, and, and that was a, kind of a foreign concept to him. And so we were praying for them, and he said, well, are we going to tell them? And I said, well, that's kind of why I'm coaching. We're hoping that that gets to happen. And he's like, Dad, I've never seen you do that. (laughs) Dad, I've never seen you do that. Now, we've only had two practices, so I'm going to confine the context of his answer to basketball and give myself a pass. (laughs) But I think it's true, isn't it, that we we are quick to... We are quick with gospel demonstration. We are quick to give people the helpful things they have communicated that they want. We are so much slower with gospel proclamation, giving people the spiritual truth that they so desperately need. And number three this morning, uh, be mindful, be missional. Three is be attentive. This is kind of an interesting one. Verses 9 through 15, uh, be attentive, be led, uh, be watchful and follow. Be attentive, starting in verse 9, Jesus says, Acquire no gold as they're going out. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food, and whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if not, if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. So Jesus essentially says, don't pack a bag, don't take an extra jacket, Uh, Not Oregon style. You don't need eight jackets. Just take the one that you've got on and go and trust that where you go, you will be provided for. Trust that I'll take care of you as you're going, even though you don't have a backpack with everything in it that you might need for every circumstance and weather imaginable. And so you might read that text and say, well, shoot, he's saying just go and don't worry about the future at all. In, in this particular case, he's saying, go and trust me. In Luke 22, Jesus actually referenced this exact occasion, and he says, remember when I told you to go with nothing. And he says, did you lack anything? He said, no, you lacked nothing. Jesus says, I took care of you. But in Luke 22, he says, pack your bags. If you don't have a sword, sell your jacket and buy one. You're going to need everything you can. You're going to need everything you have in order to stay the course. So what we're not saying is that in all times and at all places, Jesus calls us to leave everything to share our faith for gospel proclamation, for gospel demonstration. But we are saying sometimes he does call us to leave lots of good things behind and to trust him for our well-being. I mentioned last week our friends that Uh, We're headed to Papua New Guinea. They've spent three years preparing, and they landed in Papua New Guinea with New Tribes missions uh, this last week. Uh, They've been married for four years. Their son is two years old. Uh, Their commitment to New Tribes is 20 years, two decades. What do you say goodbye to? What good things are you leaving behind when you make a commitment for two decades to go live in a place with a language that you don't know, with people that you don't know, just two other missionary families. There's three families total. I mean, you're saying goodbye. You're leaving behind really good things. You're leaving behind opportunity for your kids with school and with sports and with music. 
you're leaving behind opportunity. Whatever career aspirations you might have had, had gone, right? You're leaving behind so many things. We should expect that following Jesus will at times require us to let go of the lesser things in life that we're holding on to, to take hold of his better. It's going to be hard for us because many of us are like kids at a birthday party with a pinata. You've seen it. The pinata breaks, the candy is all over, and what happens? Kids get trampled because there's a short amount of time and a limited amount of candy, and everyone wants to get as much as they can in the time allowed before someone gets hurt, right? Many of us live like kids grabbing candy that have a broken pinata. There's a limited amount of time. We want to get as much as we can in the time that we're given. And so Jesus is going to have to pry our hands open. We should expect that the call to follow him will at times, will even often cause us, require us to open up our hands and let go of the lesser to take hold of his greater. Jesus finishes up the section with what can be a, a confusing a couple verses. He says, go into a town, go into a house, knock on a door, see if it's worthy. See if someone greets you. See if someone will take care of you. See if someone will provide for your needs. If it's not worthy, leave. And, and so uh, what, what does that mean? Does that mean that if we're trying to share Christ and the door slams shut in our face, uh, that we just move on and, and, and stop knocking? Uh, Not necessarily, uh, but it does mean that sometimes the Lord is going to lead you to the ripe harvest, and the way that he's going to lead you to the ripe harvest is through closed doors. And it's, I think it's an especially tricky thing to, to wrestle with because the people that we're sharing Christ with are very near and dear to our hearts. And so when that door slams in our face, one, it hurts. Two, most of us aren't going to quit. We love those people too much. And so part of what Jesus is saying here is Jesus is calling us to mission. Jesus is sending us out. Jesus knows where the ripe harvest is. Are we going to follow or are we going to do what makes sense to us? Are we going to follow or are we going to make sense, do what makes sense to us? I might ask you, when was the last time uh, you look back in your life and you see clear evidence that you followed in spite of or despite what might have made sense to you? Be mindful, be missional, be attentive. Uh, Number four, be ready. Uh, Jesus doesn't uh, sugarcoat things, right? So if if Jesus was your dad and and you were getting ready for that, for your big day, for your wedding day, Jesus is not going to come to you and say, son, this is going to be just perfect. She's going to love everything about you. And you, you're going to love everything about her. And you're always going to say the right thing. And you're always going to understand exactly what she's thinking, exactly what she needs. Jesus is not going to sugarcoat things. Jesus is going to say, this is going to be hard. Right? Sugarcoating never helped anyone get ready for the road in front of them. Uh, Listen to what Jesus says. Be ready. Starting in verse 16. He says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep. In the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Uh, Let's jump down to 22, or more good stuff. 
and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub or Satan, how much more will they malign those of the household? Jesus says, be ready to suffer. Jesus is not talking about difficulty that comes from living in a broken world. Jesus is not talking about those of you that have lost jobs because of general layoffs or an economic downturn. Jesus is not talking about health issues that come from having broken bodies in a broken world. Jesus is talking about suffering because of sharing your faith, of gospel proclamation, of gospel demonstration, people seeing it, hating your message, hating what you have to say, hating you, and dragging you before the authorities who have the power to convict you, who have the power to do harm for you. Jesus is saying, get ready for that. Be ready to suffer. Be shrewd as servants. One commentator, uh, Bruner, says, if we are to be sheep among wolves, and this is Jesus' intention, then we should at least be smart sheep, sheep who use our heads, who don't overestimate the benevolence of wolves. Uh, Some of you met uh, Jeremy and Hannah uh, when they were here a couple months ago, our missionaries uh, in Africa and you know that they live in a place where they can be targets. They are targets of terrorist activity. They are targets of the government. If the government changes tune, that life for them comes with a daily awareness that they're not liked, that the culture they live in is hostile towards them, and that at any moment things could be dangerous. We have missionaries in Egypt who the same way. Uh, so they're shrewd. Uh, they're confidential in the communication that they send out. They don't use names and they don't use places or at least not accurate names or accurate places. They're cautious about who they work with. They're cautious about who they share Christ with. They're cautious about where they do it. They're not scared. They're shrewd. They're not uh, intimidated. They're shrewd. Jesus says, be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Be ready for opposition. Expect hostility and be shrewd and innocent as doves, shrewd as serpents, innocent as doves. Let's continue. Um, Be steadfast. Uh, Number five, verses 26 through 33. Uh, Again, uh, more difficult news here. Starting in verse 26. There's three uh, have no fears here. 26, 28, and 31. Jesus says, so have no fear of them. Verse 26, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you, have, what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. 28, and do fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. 
But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. There's some heavy language here in Matthew 10 as we think about what a follower of Christ looks like, what a follower of Christ concerns himself or herself with, what a follower of Christ focuses on, fixates on, gives themselves to. Uh, Jesus says, be steadfast. Uh, From verse 26, he says, do not be afraid of suffering because everything done in secret will one day be made known. When our kids fight in the back seat of the car, well, pastor's kids don't fight, they kind of negotiate. Um, When they negotiate in the back seat of the car and I hear he hit me, no, I didn't, she hit me. What they're saying is, they know I can't see them, That's, it's all happening behind me, and they're afraid that because I can't see them, justice won't be done. Jesus is saying, what is done in secret will one day be brought in the light. He sees it, and he will deal with it. He sees it, and he will deal with it. Where in your life do you need to hear from the Lord this morning? He sees what's going on, and he will deal with it. I promise you it won't be in your timing. <laughs> But he sees it. He says, do not be afraid. He sees it, and he will deal with it. Uh, From verse 28, Jesus says, don't be afraid of suffering here. Don't conform your life to the expectations of men who can do your body harm. He said, conform your life to the expectations of the one who has power over heaven and hell. That's who you need to listen to. Some of you have uh, adult kids who have gone off to school and you've spent a considerable amount of time helping them develop uh, the tools to be able to make good friends, to listen to the right voices because you know how problematic it is when your son or when your daughter listen to the wrong voices. You know how quickly they can go off track, how quickly they can spiral downhill. And Jesus says, listen to the right voices. Don't worry about those who have power to hurt or to kill. The one that you should be concerned about is the one who has power over heaven and over hell. The last one from verse 31. He says, don't be afraid what happens to you. If the Lord knows insignificant details like the number of hairs on our head, if the Lord knows lesser important things like sparrows and looks after them, how much more will he look after us? How much more will he look after you? How much more is he attentive to me? This is kind of like uh, the ultimate, my dad is stronger than your dad, okay? How much more will he look after you? How much more will he look after me? How much more does he know about my life if he knows the number of hairs on my head. Jesus sort of summarizes it in uh, verses 34 and 35, uh, 32 and 33. Um, Ultimately, why can those sent by God, why can Christ's followers, why can Christians, why can those of us who put all our value in what is eternal and not what is temporary. Why can we be confident? Why can we be unafraid? Why can we be courageous? Why can we be bold? Jesus says, if you stand for me now, I will stand for you forever. Jesus says, I will stand 
before my Father and advocate for you for eternity. Forever and ever and ever. But then Jesus flips it. It would be a lot easier if he didn't flip it. Then he flips it. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. It's got to be one of the two or three most difficult verses in all of Scripture to read for those who are earnestly trying to follow Christ. Whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. What we see is that suffering, being persecuted, is not a mark of spiritual failure. It is a mark of following. And our readiness to suffer is one of the key marks of the authenticity of our faith. Jesus says, be courageous. Be courageous. He continues uh, along this vein, um, verses 37 through 39. He says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Unwillingness to suffer is one of the number one marks that we are more committed to our comfort than to his calling. Unwillingness to suffer is one of the key marks that we are more committed to our comfort than to his calling on our lives, that we sit on the throne making decisions in our lives, not our Savior. One of the reasons I love the Olympics is because story after story of obscure unknown athlete in obscure unknown country from obscure unknown sport, uh, their stories are front and center and we see this enormous They've left uh, relationships to give everything they have to their sport. It's impressive. It's unhealthy, but it's impressive. It's not something that I would want for my son or daughter, but it's clear what is most important to them. As you look at your life, is it clear what is most important to you? When we're unwilling to suffer, when we shy away because we're unwilling to suffer, we show what is most important to us. Jesus says, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Carrying your cross is a, a one-man journey, and carrying your cross is a one-way journey. It's a one-man journey because you've got to decide to do it for yourself. There's no help. They had to carry their own cross. There are some burdens that are yours to carry. It's a one-way journey because... It led to the place where the cross would be put into the ground, and it led to humiliation, it led to pain, it led to suffering, and it led to death. It was a one-way ticket. Jesus says if we're not willing to carry our cross, we're not worthy of him. What does it look like to carry your cross in this season of life? How do you know if you are carrying your cross or if you're choosing the path of comfort? 
It's a great thing to go to the Lord with this week and say, Lord, show me what's in my heart. Am I choosing comfort? Am I choosing what makes sense to me and calling it wisdom? Am I using the word wisdom to mask my lack of faith? What am I teaching my kids? Am I growing kids that uh, could grow a business or could keep a job or learn to play an instrument or a sport? Or am I growing kids that can grow faith, keep a family, learn about who God is? Take that to the Lord this week. Are you someone who's carrying your cross? Jesus is crystal clear that it's not just uh, a matter of recommendation. It's not just something suggested for his followers. It is a defining mark of those who will one day be with Christ forever in heaven. Uh, The last point this morning, um, as the worship team comes up from Matthew 10, 40 through 42, be confident. Be confident. Matthew 10, 40 through 42. Whoever receives you, Jesus to his followers. Whoever receives you, followers, receives me, receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. It kind of parallels what we read last week from 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight, where Paul says, if you know what God is doing, if you know what he's doing in your life, if, he's know, if you know what he's doing in redemptive history, then be immovable and give yourself to the work of God because you do not labor in vain. Jesus says to his followers, be confident because as you go, you are bringing the words of life. And when you are received, they're not just receiving you. Jesus says they're receiving me and the one who sent me. You're changing their life forever. You're part of the life-saving, rescuing, redemptive work of God. Jesus reminds them what they're doing. Jesus reminds them what they're empowered to do. Jesus reminds them what he's doing in culture. Jesus reminds them that they've been asked. They get to participate. Uh, When we were in Alaska this year, we had a a couple days where uh, we were doing other projects, and a few individuals were selected to stay back and work on uh, some projects that were on the roof that were kind of high up in the air. You know who they chose to stay back and work on those projects? The ones that actually knew what they were doing. The ones that had some skills. The rest of us, they sent down with hammers and nails and kind of said, don't hurt yourself. (laughs) You know what I wanted to be? The person on the roof. You know what I wanted to be? The person they said, Nathan, we have a special job, and it's actually a special job. We have a special job. We need you to stay back. We need someone who knows what they're doing. Would you do that? I wasn't asked to do that. Somewhere in this room, Chris. Jesus looks at each of us and says, I got a special job, and I want you. That's what we get to do. That's what we get to be a part of, bringing that life-saving news, gospel proclamation and gospel demonstration. Uh, As we wrap up this morning, where has God sent you? Do you know? Who has he sent you to? Do you know? 
In what ways is he calling you to speak up with courage? Not because you're confident in your answers. Not because you're confident that you can answer every question imaginable. Not because you have the Bible memorized and so no matter what someone says, you've got something quick to come. It is okay to say, I don't know the answer to that question. Give me a few days and I will call you back. That's fine. Confident that Jesus is at work. Confident that he has brought the fruit to its ripened state. Would you let him lead, let him point you in the right direction and hold that bucket? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. It just pushes us out of our comfort zone. Lord, that just puts a mirror right before us and says, are you following Jesus? Are we following you? Are we doing what you've asked or have we created a Christianity that makes us comfortable? Are we doing what Jesus did? Are we say that we are Christ's followers? Are we following or are we picking and choosing what to follow so that we can have our cake and eat it too, so that we can be comfortable, not be threatened, provide for our families the things that we want and the things that we think that they want? Lord, would you open our eyes to what is in our hearts? And then send us out, Lord, like Peter with no skills. Lord, like Matthew with a seedy reputation. Like Simon with the wrong temperament for the job. Send us out, not because of what we are, but because of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.